So it was just like an underlying passion that was sitting there. And I knew I was going to go back to it. I, I knew it was there waiting for me. I was going to go back to it. I just didn't know when. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Willing Equine Podcast. I'll be recording this episode in my car, so the audio may not be super clear. And sometimes I have my kids with me, so if you hear a little bit from them, I apologize. But hopefully you can still enjoy the podcast. I'd love to hear from you after you listen to the podcast, so feel free to comment on any of my social media platforms or email me or even send me an anchor voice message. Well, guys, it's here, 2020. I can't believe it's another year. Um, And it also isn't just another year. It's, well, I should say January 1st in particular is the birthday or anniversary of TWE. And this will be our third year anniversary. And I'm very excited to get to celebrate TWE's third anniversary with you guys. Um, So, and I didn't and I, I did and didn't plan each new year to also be GWE's New Year's um, or anniversary uh, birthday, but it works out really nicely for my OCD type type A person where the first of the year is the anniversary and it just rolls over. So works out perfectly, easy to remember, and every new year is a new anniversary for TWE. So I'm really excited and. I had a special request to, in this podcast episode, to share a little bit more about my journey to this point. Um, Up until when I started TWE and then kind of the journey with TWE since it started. Kind of a behind the scenes look, not so much about the horses, yes about the horses, but about me in particular and my journey with the horses and how we got here. So. One, um, I guess it really depends on how far I want to go back, but I guess I'll tell you a little bit about myself uh, in my earlier years. I grew up with horses, as many of you guys know, since I was very young. I was in the competitive hunter-jumper world and then the competitive dressage world. Um, But I also was homeschooled Uh, as a child. I grew up educated from home with my five, well, I'm the oldest of five siblings. And so, you know, my four siblings, um, and none of them are horse lovers. Actually, I take that back. My sister that's right under me, she loved horses growing up. She doesn't have horses anymore. Uh, When she went to college, she sold her mare and really dedicated her efforts and energy and passion into her education outside of the equestrian world, which was financially probably the smartest idea, but uh, she hasn't picked back up the horse thing yet. And then my sister under her, so my youngest sister, she's actually Candy's owner. So she does have, um, she loves her mare Candy. I wouldn't say that she's super dedicated as far as she's, um, well, okay, she's not a as horse obsessed as I am, let's put it that way. Her passions are in uh, makeup artistry, so she does um, special effects makeup, and she's excellent, amazing. Uh, she goes to uh, Comic-Con and does a lot of special effects makeup there, and um, anyway, so she's got a big future ahead of her. Um, and then I have two brothers that 
One is a missionary in Cambodia, and he lives there full-time with his wife. And then my other brother is um, working on figuring out life. He is really good at computer stuff. Um, he, I, I don't even know. I, I feel like I'm going to butcher it if I even say what it is that he does, but... Um, gaming and programming and stuff like that he's that's his his area so he's really good at that and I'm really excited for his future as well so that's a little bit about my family um, and my parents are um, they actually at the facility that I work out of they it's a family-owned facility and so they live there and they built that facility and they are very passionate um, about supporting their kids and have been, they've always gone above and beyond for me and taking care of me and really helping support my passion. But at the same time, they've always been big believers in not um, just handing things out. I've always worked for what I've wanted and um, They've instilled a strong business sense in me and a self, sense of self-accomplishment and really working for what you want and being dedicated to it. So it, I have a, there's a strong ethic, work ethic that runs in my family. And uh, so I'm really grateful for that. And I love my parents for that. And I hope to instill that in my kids one day, which kind of brings me along in my, my timeline, my, my growing up timeline. So I, I met my husband really young, and uh, actually we were 10 when we met, and we started dating when we were around 18, 19, and we got married when we were 20, um, and then we had our first kid when we were 21, and after that, let's see, my so there's a four-year gap between my oldest daughter and my son, so that would make me 25, I guess, at the, yeah, 25 for my son and then uh, then two about two years later I had my youngest so 27 ish I think I had just turned 20s yeah because I can't remember anyway I can't do math um, <laughs> or birthdays or anything but my my youngest is two right now two and a half so I have an eight-year-old a four-year-old and a uh, two-year-old and my eight-year-old is about to turn uh, nine because so, her birthday is in the middle of January so um, yeah I feel very not prepared to have a nine-year-old uh, so that I, I don't ask me how I'm coping because I'm not I'm just like I hope we all survive being parents and children of parents that don't feel like they're old enough to be parents but um, so as many of you guys know, like I mentioned before, I grew up around horses and was very competitive. I actually had planned on competing in the Junior Young Rider Nationals um, in Dressage. I had purchased a horse that I had planned to take interna to international competition, um, but things didn't go according to plan. Actually, I only got to show him one time, and uh, he did extremely well. We were in the high 70s, and which is like really high for dressage scores um but we i showed him a level way below he was that way below what he was doing because he was prepping for intermediate uh one and two and um 
but I, I, I was showing him at like third or something like that, or I can't even remember. Um, but I, it was just kind of a getting warmed up together, getting each other, you know, getting ready to show together, uh, competition. And that was the last one we did before he broke his jaw. And when he, he grabbed a hold of a blanket bar that was bolted onto the front of his stall, which now you will never see anything bolted to the front of my stalls anymore, um, because of this incident. But he was tall enough that he reached his head over the top and got his lower jaw hooked under the blanket bar. And I guess he threw his head straight up or something hard enough to snap his jaw in half, which he survived. He had his whole jaw reconstructed by some amazing surgeons. Um, but he was never quite the same after that, especially since when he woke up from his anesthesia, he had a really rare reaction and he had to have an emergency tracheotomy because he couldn't breathe correctly. Um, and then after that, he had to have tieback surgeries. And then also we discovered that there was a broken off piece of drill bit left inside of his jaw when they took out all of the screw plates and everything and um, that festered and rotted his jaw uh, and had to be removed so he had a, a bunch of surgeries that were not fun and really compromised his um, the structure of his face and also um, really caused him a lot of chronic long-term pain and he ended up being euthanized after I had him for three years three years of a lot of surgery and pain and suffering and trying to rehabilitate and trying to get back to riding and going switching to bitless he was actually the one that um, showed me that even the quote-unquote heavy-handed um, stubborn you know strong horses could ride bitless uh, that was definitely him at the time but I didn't know any better that that was just how he was trained and he wasn't actually in collection he was just plowing into my hand and anyway it was a whole thing I could go on and on for that a long time about that I'm very much involved in a more classical dressage approach now um, but so he was pre my youngest daughter and right so I was six months pregnant with my my sorry not my youngest daughter my oldest daughter I was six months pregnant with my oldest daughter when we ended up putting him down that his name was Romeo and um that was really traumatic for me uh, I had a lot of hopes and dreams centered around him and and our working together as a team and having to say goodbye to him was kind of like burying my dreams um so that was really hard and I had other horses at the time. I had a retired thoroughbred, and I had a very awkwardly built and um, difficult to work with colt that was like, he must have been like three at the time, maybe a little bit younger, that I had raised. I had bred him and raised him, and that was a whole other learning experience because I should never have bred his mom. It was one of those things where I loved his dam, and um, I thought... She had a great personality, and she was fantastic, uh, and I wanted to, you know, she should have a full, <laughs> and it was good timing in my life. Uh, this was, so I bred him when I was still just starting to get competing with Romeo before his injuries. It was right after I had shipped, uh, brought him in from uh, Holland, and... So I bred her and because we wanted a foal, we wanted that experience, and we loved her, so she should have a foal. Well, 
yeah, I don't, <laughs> that was just a, a whole learning experience. It was very expensive, very time consuming. We he had, the sire was just top of the top. He was Grand Prix, dressage, Hanoverian. He was just, he was gorgeous, had gorgeous foals. Um, but her confirmation wasn't what it should have been and they weren't necessarily a flattering combination, but I didn't have none of the professionals around me really. They kind of were out and not involved, um, mostly because we didn't ask them for their opinion, which we should have. Uh, but even the breeder, I feel like maybe should have stepped in and said no, because you know, this is not a good fit, but you know, I don't know. We're obsessed with breeding horses in this culture. So in this world and, um, so we bred her and the foal, I loved him. Uh, he taught me so much, but he kept, uh, had some serious stuff. Actually, when he was 18 months or so, he put his head through a fence and, um, internally decapitated his head. It's a very rare thing that for them to survive through, I should have snapped the spinal cord, but it didn't. Um, and he happened to survive through it, but he was never the same after. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that's all to say that after that, and then we, he tore a suspensory and like there was thing after thing that happened with him and he was confirmationally very weird. He had a strong roach back. He was very short backed, uh, very short necked, uh, upside down neck. It was just not built very well. Um, we ended up, he ended up being, uh, also having an incident and having to be put down um let's see it was probably almost two years after my warm blood was put down Romeo was and so when in and at the time I kind of was just getting through having my first child so when you have your first kid for those who don't have kids it's, it's world changing. Um, everything changes. Your focus changes. Your, um, you're just trying to figure out how to do this new thing called motherhood. And so it was very different having a, my first child, um, especially being as young as I was. And, um, we had, there was other stuff going on as far as with, um, my my husband and his work he, he had a very stressful job at the time that consumed a lot of him and so um, my, all of my efforts and energy and emotions went into raising my daughter and my warm blood had just been put down and my thoroughbred was retired and my colt was still too young to ride so I just kind of let them sit and I didn't you know, I kind of, I just stopped taking lessons and I had my horses, but we were just taking a break for a while. But then I had to put my, um, colt down and, um, and then my thoroughbred soon after. So he was retired and he was older. Um, and it was one of those things where, we could try and change his homes, um, try and find him somewhere new to go, but he was old enough and had enough health conditions uh, that it seemed at the time made the best sense to also go ahead and let him rest um, since I, his companion was going to rest as well. And it, um, and we had no other horses on the facility and I didn't want to move him and put him through that trauma at such a late age, uh, with his health conditions. So, 
that was really traumatic for me, um, putting my warm blood and then my coals and then my second ever horse I'd owned, my retired thoroughbred, uh, to sleep. All really close in time and, um, and you know, before anybody, I don't know, I, there was, there was a lot there. I could go on and on and on about why we made the decisions we did and, um, the pros and cons and you really had to have been there to understand what was going on uh, especially with the warm blood and so I just you know hope you guys can trust me that I tried to make the best decision I could for my horses at the time I don't know if it's the same decision I'd make now um, but it was at the time the best decision I didn't think anybody else could take care of them the way that I could. There were so many horses out there that are perfectly physically fit and young and built right and all of that and don't have health conditions that are looking for homes. It didn't seem like a wise decision to try and find them a new home and then they would be at risk of ending up somewhere bad. Um, and then also with their health conditions, they need a specialized care. So it was the best decision at the time for them. Um, but anyway, so that happened, and I kind of swore off horses for a while. Um, well, actually, I said I was going to, and I uh, I said I was going to take a break from horses because it was I couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't deal with loving something so much and then having to say goodbye and then back to back to back. Um, so that was only that only lasted though five days. <laughs> so I swore off horses for five days. Um, then my family was, uh, my family decided that they wanted some casual trail horses. So these weren't going to be my horses. I was still taking a step back. I was just going to help them find some horses to keep on the property and that they could trail ride on the weekends. And you have to remember that this was a very different time of my life. Um, I, my opinions on horses and my approach towards working with horses was very different. Um, there was such a thing at the time to me as a, you know, recreational just trail horse that you just got on every once in a while and rode around and then put back out to pasture. Um, there was also such a thing as a horse had to, to ha had to have a job. Um, it didn't make, you know, why would you just leave a horse sitting in the pasture or why would you just own horses just because like they, that's a waste of you know, horses to let them be pasture ornaments and leave them just sitting out there. Like that's ridiculous. And, um, there was also a very strong sense of value that was attributed to the horse, depending on their purchase price and their bloodlines and all of that. And all of these things have changed a lot for me. So as I'm going through this kind of story, you need to understand that my journey, my horsemanship journey has changed tremendously over the years. And, um, some of the actions that I might have performed when I was younger or more naive or um, just in a different mindset towards horses and uh, having been influenced by a very competitive and a world that used horses as sports equipment or machines, um, my decisions were influenced by these because these were the peers that I was around. These were the the professionals that I was taking advice from. These were the people that were influencing my actions. So, um, you know, I, like I said, now I don't think I would have put, you know, certain horses to sleep that I had because, well, one, I have 
more tools at my hands as far as how to rehab certain things. Um, I also have positive reinforcement, which I didn't have then. So my difficult, unruly cult that was aggressive, or even my warm blood that had become extremely aggressive in the end to the point where he had to be walked with a nose twitch and a chain and possibly sedated at the end. Um, he was so angry and in so much pain, uh, which at the time I didn't fully understand the concept of trauma and chronic pain and, um, and just, there's, there's so much, there's so much I know now that I didn't know then. And the vets didn't know the trainers didn't know my, and nobody knew around me, um, at least not to the extent that we know now. And so, you know, decisions at the time were the results of lack of information and I'm sure in 10 more years um, I'm going to look back at decisions I make today and be like man if only I had known so you know we can only do with what we can with the information we have and we make progress as we can um, and just make the best decisions you can at the time so I try and have compassion on myself um, for certain decisions that I made much earlier on and I, as much as I try and have compassion for other people that make these decisions that maybe I wouldn't make now because they're where they are in their journey, horsemanship journey. That doesn't mean we can't say something. It doesn't mean we can't try and educate people. It doesn't mean we can't say, you know, um, that I, I guess offering the, um, suggesting to help or suggesting off, uh, alternative approaches to things, but there's a strong difference between compassionately trying to help somebody and judging them. And that's kind of where I try. I, I'm not, I'm not super successful at it all the time. I get too passionate to the point of where I judge people sometimes where I'm like, how could you do that? You know, how could you do that to that horse? And uh, I try not to do that. I try to be compassionate towards where they are and, but at the same time, freely offer to help and freely offer, um, ways and and uh, for them to seek their own information and for them to educate themselves in a loving and compassionate way this doesn't mean that we can't have our boundaries it doesn't mean we can't say that that's abuse and that's not it just means that we have to understand that people are evolving in their own ways that their horsemanship journey is changing every day just like ours has i there's no i don't know anybody that hasn't done something or um or done something or not done something that they regret later on in their horsemanship journey. So we need to have that compassion for other people that uh, we would hope people would have on us. So um, that's kind of my little like insert there. So as you're listening to my story, you understand that there's was decisions. There were decisions that were made that I would not make now, or there were, you know, I don't know. So anyway, back to the story. Um, so we, I got my family some trail horses and actually Tiger was one of those. And then later on Pumpkin was one. We actually had some other horses too that didn't, uh, stay around. They did for a while, but they ended up finding new homes or I found them new homes. Um, one of them, one mare actually, she's with a really good trainer friend of mine who now trains with positive reinforcement as well which I'm super excited about because she really needed that. But I had sold her to a, um, <coughs> excuse me, a lady that was 
interested in doing dressage and this mare had been sold to me to do western but uh, for trail riding but she really wasn't I think I could have eventually helped her through it but there there is something to be said for that some horses are not cut out for certain things they're just they won't ever probably enjoy it like another horse might so this was one of those things and so I sold her this to this lady and thankfully when later on down the road this lady couldn't keep her um, because of a health problem that showed up in their family she offered her back to me which I couldn't take her back but I found her another home uh, and then there were some other mare uh, horses let's see there was another mare that it was a very long and involved story, um, chronic lameness that the vets have not been able to had not been able to find. I spent so much money and so much time trying to find the lameness in her, uh, where it was coming from. Again, this is another case where I feel like now I know more, and I feel like I could help her now more than I did before. But unfortunately, that's kind of a um, a burned bridge as far as getting her back. Uh, her owner has not been receptive to um, help or or anyway she was trying to find her a new home at one point and I offered to take her back but I couldn't pay full price for her and that was a huge m knock on my moral I don't know just something happened there it was very stressful for me and very um I am super, I'm still very upset about that whole situation, but so hopefully my, my hope is that she is in a really good home and they're taking care of her. Um, but this is a, one of the reasons I am very cautious about rehoming horses, even to homes that you feel like are going to be the best possible home for the horse. Um, you just honestly never know people they change people you never know somebody I mean think about all the relationships you've had with close friends and think about you know growing up and you know you had friends you had friends for years sometimes they were your best friend and then things just didn't something changed or you thought you knew them but now you don't know them anymore and so when we um, sell horses and when we give up ownership to horses to these people we want to trust with their horses well-being and we feel like it's gonna make good home for them and um, there's just that risk involved I'm not saying you should never give you know find a home for a horse but really great 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 caution needs to be taken and that's why I really like the idea of free leases and anyway you can hear more about all of that in uh, some of my other podcast episodes so I got my family's um, quote-unquote dead broke trail horses that would take care of them and the idea was that we would just get to go spend time as a family and go out riding together whenever it worked out um, but since I can never leave anything alone as a recreational thing I have to take it all the way and um, since I was responsible for purchasing these horses and um, keeping up with them and since I had since a very young age been determined that I wanted to be a horse trainer when I grew up and that even though I was taking a break supposedly from having horses and um, the whole thing with my warm blood and colt were um, even though those were traumatic events for me and um, I wasn't sure where to go and then I had my um, my daughter and everything but things were starting to settle down and um so I just like you know what I will just 
I'm going to get my horse fix by going out there once a week and going out to the ranch and working with these horses and keeping them tuned up and just keeping my skills, you know, and all that. And we'll just, I'll get to enjoy them and I won't have to have any obligation. I won't have to compete. It'll just be low key and I won't get too committed to them because they're going to be my family's horses, not mine. So I won't have that emotional um, connection to them. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, it took a little bit, but actually I had, so I, I, mm, so the horse shopping thing kind of took some time. I ended up buying over time some different horses uh, for um, this kind of my tiger's whole story kind of laps overlaps into this because she was supposed to be the horse that my husband and my father rode because she was built for it and all that but we figured out she had a lot of trauma centered around her training and she wasn't safe for my novice uh, husband and father to ride so I ended up going on the hunt to find them a horse which is when I found Pumpkin. Uh, and then that's also when I found out I was pregnant with my second kid. So um, so this would be my son. And uh, my daughter would have been four at the time, my oldest. So when I found out I was pregnant with my son, you know, everything kind of continued on. I actually had started teaching some beginner lessons at this point, too. I was teaching just some friends of the family, just some beginner lessons every once in a while. And um, I did this to replace my job. I had nannied for a while. So while my daughter was growing up during those four years, I had um, nannied for a family for a while. And that was a great job. But uh, she, the, the mom ended up uh, putting her kids in pre or they got old enough so they were in preschool and everything so I, I stopped nannying for them just because time moved on and I didn't really want to continue nannying so I was I needed some extra income so I started teaching some beginner lessons and one part I forgot actually is that while I was going through the whole thing with putting my warm blood down and um, being pregnant with my first right before I got pregnant and right after we got married. So when I was 21, 20, 21, um, I worked at a boarding kennel, a dog boarding kennel for a while. I think I was there for almost two years. And during that time, I also got certified through an organization to uh, be a professional dog trainer. So I had kind of... Um, while that whole thing with my warm blood was happening and I wasn't sure whether I was going to get to keep working with horses, but I knew I was eventually going to go back to it. But in the meantime, it seemed like a good idea to get focused on training another species. I love dogs and I was working at a boarding kennel and I figured it would benefit me later on, which it did greatly. Um, and so I had started training professionally with dogs and working at this boarding kennel for a while. But then when my daughter was born, I left that job so I could stay home with her. So I had that job, left her, the job so I could stay home with my oldest. Then when she was a little bit older, I think she was about a year, I started nannying, nannied for them, I think for a year or two. Um, and then I started teaching some beginner lessons. And then I got pregnant with my son. And I continued to teach lessons during my pregnancy all the way up until the end, actually. Um, <clears throat> I think I was even out. Yeah, I, I remember almost all of my pregnancies. I was at the barn the day of that I went into labor or the day before. So I worked up until and I um, 
was very dedicated to being with the horses. Um, fully nine months pregnant and ready to have a baby. And actually, I went two weeks over with all of my kids, so almost two weeks over. So I was very pregnant. Um, so I had my son. And I stayed home with him for a while, but I continued to go back out to the barn and just kind of continue what I was doing, just checking on the horses, um, working with them as much as I could, and getting back in the saddle as soon as I could. And oh, let's see, after that, this is a very detailed account of my life. Um, <laughs> after that, I got more intense about teaching uh, lessons, and so I started doing that a couple days a week. And that's when I started thinking, I'm going to get back into professional horse training. And at this time, I was still traditionally training for a little while until I started finding positive reinforcement. And it, while my son was still pretty young, um, so it must have been, you know what, I must have started I'm trying to remember the timeline. I must have started with positive reinforcement prior to getting pregnant with my son or right as I was getting pregnant with him. Actually, I'm really confident that's the case because I remember different things. Yeah, so um, so I started before I was pregnant with my son, with Tiger. and But I was still, still recreational or teaching lessons occasionally, and I had it integrated into my lesson program yet. I was just kind of experimenting with it with Tiger and Pumpkin. Um, and then, yeah, after that, it really just started continuing to grow. I started teaching more lessons. Um, I started to really explore using positive reinforcement more and clicker training at the time I was less involved with what I now call like a consent based approach where I'm really wanting the horse to be autonomous and to really have free choice or choice in their training choice and control in their training and it was more so about clicker training and still achieving results achieving being able to teach lessons achieving being able to train certain behaviors achieving getting the horse to do what I want them to do um, it, so I, and then we'll see. So then as I was getting more involved and I started getting way more excited about this whole thing and clicker training and the possibility it had to just change and transform the entire equestrian world and what the doors it was opening and how it had impacted my relationship with Tiger and how it was changing my outlook and my relationships with my horses and everything was changing and I was my passion was really reignited and I was so excited to get back into working with horses and I was at a point in my life where my son was getting old enough and that uh, he could be with a babysitter or with his it was actually his um, grandmother a couple of days a week and my daughter was old enough she could either come with me or stay with her grandmother um, and just I could be more independent and working with the horses more um, although they did come with me quite often, they would often be playing on the front porch of the barn while I was working with horses or playing in the sand. Um, pack and plays are my, were my favorite. <laughs> my my ultimate tool of have with having kids at the barn is pack and plays. Pack and plays everywhere, and bouncy seats. Um, bouncy seats, and then the other thing would be like jumpers. Those the 
the toys that you set the kids inside of they're like the saucer that's kind of what they call them is like a bouncing saucer entertainment center um, those three things were the ultimate strollers too so four I had four tools at the bar and all the time that I could have kids in and keep them entertained and keep them safe that was a big thing they had to be safe away from where the horses could access them um, and this is so then I was getting really excited about this and I really wanted to help people and bring this idea to the equestrian world to working with horses it becomes so much more mainstream in working with dogs and even other species in the zoos and um, and wildlife centers and, and um, the marine animals but horses not so much so I started TWE in 2017, January 1st, 2017, with the idea of really bringing this new way of working with horses where you could have a willing partner, a horse that really wanted to be with you and really wanted to engage in the training and, and it could be a positive, positive experience for both the people and the horse, uh, the horses. I wanted to bring this idea out and, um, and I, and I saw TWE as a way of achieving that. Now, at the same time, I actually was pregnant. I got pregnant with, um, my youngest, my daughter, and that happened right before I launched TWE and on January 1st, 2017. Uh, I think I was maybe four to six months. I can't remember exactly how far along I was. I must've been, let's see. Yeah, I can't remember the math, but I must have been like six months along when I announced that I was going to launch TWE on social media on January 1st. And I'm just going to keep saying that, January 1st, 2017. <laughs> um, and I knew that it was going to mean that I couldn't be as aggressive as I wanted to be as far as getting TWE off the ground. And there would be some learning curve. But I, I figured it was fine because at the time I wasn't taking horses on for training um, and most everything I was doing was social media based anyways. So I stuck with uh, going ahead and launching it. And I did lessons up until I, um, until I had my daughter. And I did lessons a couple days a week. I just kind of continued on that same path where I was working at the barn a couple days a week and having my kids at home and I was homeschooling them at the time as well I was homeschooling my oldest my youngest my son wasn't quite old enough yet to start school but I was homeschooling my oldest daughter at the time and um, then I was at the barn working a couple days a week and really running everything from social media I was doing I started doing consults I started doing um, e just emails email consults video consults I started um, really putting out YouTube videos and I just spent a lot of time with the social media aspect and just part of the week at the barn working with the horses and teaching lessons and I continued that up until my daughter was born um, and then when she was born I was home for a little while although I'm pretty sure I returned back to the barn almost the same week and by the third child you're like just keep on moving and <laughs> just have the kid keep going um and I didn't really I did return back to teaching lessons after that but I wanted to turn my focus to really 
building an online, um, like a long distance lesson program with people that were really dedicated to working with positive reinforcement, clicker training, and, and consent-based training. This is when that idea started to really evolve for me. Um, and a lot of my local students at the time were a little bit more interested in the traditional lessons that I used to be teaching, which is completely fine. Uh, they they had been with me since I was teaching in a more traditional way. And as I started to evolve, kind of my training program evolved, and um, I, I tried to make it slow integration so it wouldn't shock anybody. And it was a slow integration for me as well, so it wasn't something I was holding back. But... Um, things changed in my students' lives or they just kind of weren't as interested in the clicker training aspect and all of that. And um, But most of my students, it was more that something else in their life was really taking hold. Uh, and so they wanted to dedicate more time to that. And since I only had a couple students at the time, it wasn't um, a big deal. So I started to really focus on building an online group or a long distance group of students that were very interested in learning the type of training that I was interested in teaching. <laughs> and so I, anybody that wasn't super interested, we just kind of amicably, I can't even speak. <laughs> what was that? Um, we very nicely, I'm just going to not even try it again. We nicely parted ways and everything was totally fine. Uh, and I just started focusing on teaching people that were really interested in learning this new way of working with horses. And a lot of those students were long distance. Um, but then I started taking on, as my daughter got older, uh, boarding clients and, and clients that would, wanted more hands-on training. So they would send their horses to me and they would take regular lessons in between their horses' training. So the horses come and stay with me for months at a time and their owners would come and take a lesson or multiple lessons a week as I was working with the horses when they weren't there. And so it was a really, it's a really intense training program to kind of jumpstart everybody's um, training. And I have always wanted to take horses in for training, but I have never really been prepared or set up for that, especially with having young kids. But finally, I was in a position to be able to do that when I decided to enroll my youngest daughter in a very, very small private school. It's like a two-room schoolhouse, and there's multi-ages in each class, and it's really, it's um, it's a very, it has a really strong Christian foundation, and um, the I know all the teachers personally. I know all the students personally. Like, it's a really great school. So I felt very confident in putting my oldest in a school environment. Um, and then also my son as well as he got there. And so then it was just me and my youngest. And so I, I had time to be able to start taking horses in for training. And that's when I feel like things really started my education and my business and everything started to really take hold and really started to evolve into something bigger. And, um, the social media aspect is absolutely was the foundation. It's where I started. It's how I built the initial, my brand, my, um, my image, all of that. It's how I connected with like-minded people. It's what really pushed my education and um, it was so inspiring and I met so many people and I am still to this day like Instagram is my stomping ground and I love everybody I've met there I've made my best friends there um, and to the point where we fly to go visit each other and I love it but 
it's been a whole new learning experience and a fascinating one and one that I'm just absolutely hooked on having working with clients hands on and working with their horses and seeing the different struggles in the day-to-day horse person's life and going and doing consults. That's something else I do is I travel and do consults and I started doing clinics as well. So I travel around the country and eventually, hopefully internationally uh, to do clinics, to teach, to help people to work with their horses in a new way and to whether they're beginners or just wanting to um, learn more about training this way. And this whole aspect of TWE has really just taken off and and I'm amazed at the people, the amount of people that are interested and how dedicated they are and how, um, I don't know, even my online group of, my online group of students, my long distance students, I feel like they are my local students too. We have a personal relationship. They can text me and message me and, and email me anytime. And we do lessons every month, if not more, um, we, as far as they send me videos and I do lessons with them. And we have an online where we, we, um, a discussion group and everybody gets to know each other. I have three students in California that didn't really know each other prior to training this way and also TWE, so becoming my students. And now they all go visit each other and help each other train, and and, um, they're kind of each other's accountability partners. And I think that's fantastic, and it's so exciting that I've been able to be a part of that and help bringing people together that are like-minded. And anyway, so I'm just so excited for the future and where things are going. And I... um, I feel like I don't even know why I don't know that anybody's really going to be interested in my story and how I got to where I am, but I hope so. Cause I just recorded this whole podcast, but I feel like maybe it'll help inspire people and let them know that it's okay to take detours in life. I feel like from when I was young and in a lesson program and competitive riding. So when I was from like, 20 until I was, um, maybe even younger. So really started around 19 is when my warm bug got injured. So when I was 19 until I was 20, I don't know what, four. Yeah. It would be about 24 to 25, maybe even later you could say 26. I took this giant detour Oh, and I even forgot about something else I did during that time. I took up professional makeup artistry. So I was doing wedding makeup for a while. I did that for about a year. Um, that was another part of my detour. So that must have happened. That happened after the nannying. And yeah, see, I took this huge detour where I left my roots, my my passion and my core Uh, of horse training and horses because life took me on a little bit of a journey. And I feel like this journey was so needed though. It wasn't just like that. I, I left it and I shouldn't have, I left it and I should have, and it wasn't an intentional. I didn't intentionally leave it just because I felt like it. It was just that I had started having kids and things weren't working out as far as with my husband's job and the distance driving to and from the facility I had available to me and just the emotional aspect of it too. And I didn't really lose my passion for horses. It just kind of got, um, 
funneled it down into a very like soft passion. So it was just like an underlying passion that was sitting there. And I knew I was going to go back to it. I, I knew it was there waiting for me. I was going to go back to it. I just didn't know when. And so I was exploring these other, I feel like they were replacements. I was trying so hard to replace the core passion that was there with a, like a tiny passion. <laughs> Cause I do love makeup, but not like I love horses and I do love dogs, but not like I love horses. And I do love kids and nannying and all that not like I love horses um, at all. So it was like I was taking these little side paths, these little, little, I was exploring these other little minor passions to see if they would fulfill what I was looking for. And I needed to fulfill them or explore them for the learning experiences that happened, but also because um, it really helped solidify that horses were it for me. Like I, come hell or high water horses were it and so I was just waiting I was waiting for the right time um God had a path for me to follow God had a, a, a purpose for all that I was doing I just I can't tell you how frustrated I got at times how depressed I would get um I have dealt with uh depression in various to various degrees since I was about 18 um and so there were times during that whole period where I was so depressed and struggling and it this wasn't this happy-go-lucky joy ride from start to end where I was like oh I'm just gonna go explore all these things and I'll eventually come back to horses. No, it was like, I really want to do horses. Why can't I do horses? God, and so frustrated. I guess I will try this other thing and maybe it'll be okay. And it was for a while, but it just never was it. And so, um, but it was also so important for me to learn that patience and that dedication and to see other parts of what. I could possibly do and to explore other parts of me and um, my personality and my strengths and weaknesses and to learn things. Um, I think if I had just continued on the path I was going, there was no way I'd be where I am today. So maybe it would have been better or worse. I don't know. All I know is that it wouldn't be me who I am right now. And I'm grateful for it where I am right now and who I am right now. And that's not to say that it's easy. Uh, there are huge struggles in my everyday life, um, I deal with depression really strongly still, uh, even though I have reached it, so to speak, um, just because of my personality type and there's other stuff physically for me that I struggle with, um, hormones, all of that. Like there, there's stuff, everybody's got our stuff, right? We've all got stuff. So this is not like happy ending and for from this point on, there was never a day in my life where I wasn't sad or struggling, but, um, I know I feel at home. I feel like this is it. I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. And maybe that'll change. Maybe in the future, it's going to look like a variation of where I am now, which absolutely probably will. I would hope so. So I'm not staying stagnant and never evolving, but um, I do hope that it involves horses into the future in some capacity. And I'm really excited to see where TWE goes and where it can evolve. And I feel like it's this living, breathing thing that I've helped create um, that God has really blessed. And I'm so thankful for all of you guys that everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, everybody who's ever liked a, a picture on Instagram or commented on a video on YouTube or emailed me or private messaged me or um, 
anybody that's a student of mine or has um, done a consult with me or has put a horse into training with me, I can't tell you how thankful I am for you. And you have been a part of this. You have been a major part of this. Your contribution has made this possible and made the future possible as well. It has made it so that I can reach more people and help more people. And um, I definitely couldn't do it by myself. I certainly could not do this by myself. And as much as it's like, you know, I might be the face of TW. I'm the one that's talking on this podcast. I am the one that does the training. So I really hope in the future that it's not, you know, I, I hope to have other trainers to work with and create something bigger and um, just, I don't know. I, I, it may be mostly, you know, like people see me, but what I wish they could see is all of you guys. And I know that sounds so like mushy gushy and like, I don't know, cheesy, but it's true. Like I can't, my students and you guys teach me as much as I even, I even more than I hope to be able to teach you guys. Every time I have a horse come stay with me, I learn something new and it evolves my horsemanship journey tremendously. Every time I have an online student that emails me, Hey, what about this? I have to go through the process of thinking about what I would do. And maybe I've never even encountered, encountered that problem before. And so I have to really dive into what I know, what I've read, what I've experienced. Sometimes it even requires me to go consult other trainers that I know, um, that I respect and that, um, that teaches me and that helps me evolve and that helps me bring more information to other people. So you are a huge part of this and I really hope that you feel that. And, um, I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode and just kind of getting to see a, a behind the scenes, a journey, you know, how I got to where I am. And I feel like I kind of overshared a little bit, but, um, I feel like maybe putting it out there will help people understand, um, uh, that this is something that has been hard worked for and isn't just about, you know, the, I don't even know what about me making money or me growing a name for myself or anything like that, that it really has been about a passion and a dream and about the horses. And it's always been about the horses. And I also hope that by listening to this podcast episode, you can get a sense of um, being inspired to continue your own journey, even if it's not looking exactly like you thought it would. There has been so many times where I had a plan, where I had something that I knew I was going to do, I knew I was going to accomplish it, and I was going to go out and get it. And it just crashed and burned. And I was so angry and so upset and so disappointed and so, and I would become depressed and, um, angry with God. And that in itself, I think that was part of why it didn't look like I wanted it to look because I needed to learn how to let go of things and to go with the flow a little bit more and to trust and to trust God and his, um, and his, uh, his purpose for me and what he wanted for my life. Um, and uh, you know, I'm only, I see I'm turning 31 on January 3rd. And so I've still got a lot more years. I'm actually a little bit worried about what the next 30 years are going to look like. I can't even imagine if compared to the last 30 years, like what are the next 30 years? Heck, what are the next five years going to look like? I'm a little bit scared, but if I've learned anything 
I've learned that it will turn out okay and that um, God does have my best interest in mind and that even if I sidetrack away from the horses for a while, even if it's not looking like I want it to, that that underlying passion, that drive will still be there and I can still go back. You know, even if I have to step away for a year, maybe something happens and I have to step away for a year, I can go back. Like, it's okay. You know, nothing is going to, the world is not going to end if I can't do something for just a month or two. Um, although it feels like it sometimes, every moment feels like the most important moment um, in our lives. And I struggle with that. But I really hope to, that I can take this sense of, trust in the journey and in the evolution and in the process um, into the rest of my life. And I know I'll have ups and downs, but I hope that this podcast episode could um, really helps comfort and inspire and also kind of give you a behind the scenes look for those that are interested and learning more about the journey of TWE and how I got here. And maybe it'll help you on your own horsemanship journey. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. On there, I have a really extensive blog. I'm a very prolific writer. And I also have a an FAQ page. And the FAQ has all kinds of things. It has questions and answers about training and about my training specifically, as well as just general about working with positive reinforcement. There's also sections on there about health and um, behavior. So all of that. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out and I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.